Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. This is episode 565 for the 8th of September, 2021. Today's guest is the vocalist Gretchen Parlato. Gretchen burst onto the scene in 2004 when she won the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz International Voice Competition. Since then, she's been nominated for a Grammy Award, released five albums, performed with Wayne Shorter, Kamasi Washington and Esperanza Spaulding, and massively influenced several generations of jazz vocalists. After eight years spent enjoying and exploring motherhood, she made something of a return to jazz with her album Floor, released on Edition Records in March 2021. The album celebrates both her re-emergence, a blossoming if you will, and her love for the Brazilian sounds that shaped her. We talk about the music of Floor, her advice on dealing with criticism, and Gretchen tells us how she feels about having impacted the jazz vocal landscape with her signature understated singing and impeccable musicianship. Radiant sun, rise and shine your love unto the world. You are the one. Hi, welcome to the jazz session. Thank you. Hi, Nikki. So good to be here. Oh, it's such a thrill. And we're going to talk about your beautiful album, Floor, which was released in March 2021. And what people may or may not know is that this in many ways is going to be a follow-up interview because I've already interviewed you about this album. Right. That interview was printed in December before the official release date. And so this is a really special scenario that we find ourselves in. We get to have a catch-up and perhaps you also get to take stock after the big release and after all of that anticipation and excitement has happened. Yeah, I know you You really were the first one that pride and, you know, made me really look inside and look within and think about the, the project and kind of where I was and just connect the dots. And so, yeah. And, and then we go back, you know, farther. Um, so it, you know, talking with you definitely makes me think of a longer lineage. But yeah, here we are. I'm glad you remember the dates and when everything comes about out because I don't know who I am these days. <laughs> 
you and everyone else on the on the planet. Well, luckily, press releases are, are good for jogging my memory. Yeah, I would just agree. I'm like, sure. I don't know anything. <laughs> well, I won't need you astray and tell you that it came out five years ago, because you might believe me since the last year has felt so unbearably long. But how was the release and how has everything been since then? It's been great. It's been very different, I'll say, you know, because there's no tour. There's no, you know, CD or album release and there's not that physical connection this time with presenting the music and being, you know, having people come and listen live and interact and, you know, sell merch and talk to people. So it's just different. It's 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 more of just of of finally offering something and having it out there. And it's, I'm really kind of dependent on people like you, you know, to be honest, to have people, um, to have this kind of interaction. We're all so used to this now, but having an interview on Zoom or having, you know, just connect with people here and this is what gets released, whether it's video or written, and that's how people have some connection beyond just the album. So it's, it's just a different, process and and I'm you know of course we just go with it and hope that at some point soon we can share the music live. Yeah it's strange that one forgets that touring used to be a really integral part of a a normal rollout. Yeah. (laughs) But that said you made such effective use of the devices that came to the fore during this very online period um, including your Instagram live interviews with people involved in the mm-hmm. project, your Floris. Right. They were live and now they're archived for folks to enjoy. Yes, that's right. See, that feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> already. <laughs> but right, we did. I, I figured, well, let me just, you know, it's your format, right? It's just having these interviews, very casual with different people. We did 15 of them, actually. So, um, yeah. Ending with the, the head of the late of Edition Records, Dave Stapleton, and starting with Marcel Camargo, the musical director and guitarist of, of the band. Um, so yeah, we just I talked with you know a lot of people um, involved in the project, and talked for you know a good hour plus, and it was just fun. Yeah, there I think most of them are still available, and it d- it definitely was fun to do, and kind of gave again like an insight behind the scenes, and and that's I just you know we try to do what we can to make it feel like we're connecting you know with people beyond just the album but i will say that this because this project was so focused on like the details and the nuances and kind of like the post-production in a in a good way it's like that that is to me like a, a strong presentation of the project maybe i won't say that you know a live show won't be that strong but i'll just to say that this you know the the greatest version of these songs i think is what you're going to hear on the album you know and live will be something different and more you know scaled down because it's just a quartet but in a good way you know this this go around it's like this just put on the album and you know blast it or put on your headphones or put it on in the car and you know or take a walk like there's just ways to kind of take it with you in in our crazy lives these days yeah well there are three things that you said that i i want to touch on the first is the production which we will what's the phrase we'll circle back to um the production of all your records is stunning but we did chat about the fact that post-production on this album plays a bit of a different role it has its own presence in a way that is different 
from previous recordings of yours. The second thing is I'd say that if you're lucky enough to be in the Northern Hemisphere now, this is the perfect album for summer. And if you have a car with the top that rolls down, you should definitely <laughs> put it on. It's it's joyous and it's fresh. And I guess in in keeping with the theme of the title, there's something very new and blooming about it, which is lovely and Aww. in line with summer. <laughs> and the third thing I'll say is that what was so lovely about those Instagram live interviews is that you have always made music with friends and these are these musicians are not just any friends but they are mm -hmm. these are old friends these are long-standing friendships and so it felt like quite a privilege to be given a window into your relationships with these people and then to think about how that translates into the music that you you make with them yeah, you're right. There's the the personal connections are so so unique and so important and some of them go back definitely decades, you know, many decades. <laughs> so there's a lot of history um leading up to this. I think that was, you know, we you and I talked about that in the in our first interview. There's so much nostalgia and kind of looking within and kind of going backwards of realizing like what has been there already and kind of bringing that out. As, as a theme in this project. And so much of that has to do with these different people, these different figures um, that have been in my life, in my musical life and artistic life for 20, 30 years, <laughs> you know? So it was cool to like, just talk about that and share that energy. Well, I think it's really special. And you happen to have a longstanding history of bringing your friends in and making music with friends. And I often think that music made with friends is the best kind of music. The results are great. The vibe is there. The connection is there. And so that's a good place for us to start in terms of floor. Tell us about the musicians that are on this album, the guests who are on this album. They are all friends of yours. And there's a definite Brazilian theme and atmosphere. And of course, that's a thread that's run throughout your entire discography but it mm -hmm. was prevalent on your self-titled debut album you yeah. you covered Javan and you had Lionel Luecki on guitar and so in many ways this feels very full circle and perhaps these musicians brought you home to Brazilian music not that you ever left it <laughs> no you're you're right I think you're you're totally right it's it's this was a the Brazilian influence and that love has been here for been there for a long time so it was kind of always a part of each album but this was the first time I could actually focus completely on on that so yeah the the first person I I I went to to kind of allow the project to develop was Marcel Camargo, who's a guitarist, and he's from Brazil. And we met in at UCLA when we were both at UCLA in the '90s, <laughs> and he was a big part of my my like understanding and exposure to Brazilian music. And we used to play together. And I just thought, you know, having him as the musical director would be helpful, you know, for me and would make it, you know, he actually already the, the band members that I chose, he had, I kind of, you know, I say a lot, I kind of stole them from, from him. He had a larger ensemble that he had me guest on and it had Artyom Manukian, the cellist on the, in the group and Leo Costa on drums among many other musicians. 
that core was really strong to me. And I thought, yeah, what if, what if I, 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 I gather these players who already have, they're, they're such a unit and they already have this great sound and then develop an ensemble. And again, live, it's, it's, it is a really precious and, and intimate, but kind of, you know, can come outside of that um, live. But on the album, it was really fun, you know, with, with their help to kind of layer and just enhance each track with like all different kinds of textures beyond just the four of us. Um, so right, so it's Marcel Camargo, Artyom Manukian, and Leo Costa as the core players. And then we have some guests too, who I can mention now or later. <laughs> Well, they're just not very well known. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> you know, we should say you have Gerald Clayton on piano and Mark Julian on drums. Um, and of course, this is a nice segue because there's another special mm -hmm. guest on your cover of Roy Allen. And I'm not talking about Karen Kennedy, who made her singing debut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but That's right. rather I'm talking about the dazzling percussionist, I'm going to mispronounce his first name. Ayerto. I mean, ah. that's... Moreira? I, could, I'm, uh, yes, exactly. Ayerto Moreira. So he was... Uh, so it was so cool. But yeah, I, it was Marcel. Marcel and Leo, you know, they're, they both have connections to him. And I think in us kind of talking... We recorded the song first as a, as a group... Um, and kind of assuming later, like, oh, Leo, as a drummer, you'll, he'll overdub, you know, a lot of percussion. And then after we, we recorded it, it was the thought of like, well, what if we, you know, went further and we got like somebody big on this and they have a connection, personal one to him. So Leo specifically kind of reached out and, and helped make that happen. And, and I had, you know, a little, uh, Flora, his Flora, his wife, um, Flora Purim, she was, my connection to her is that when I did the then called Thelonious Monk vocal competition, she was a judge um, when I when I won. So she was, you know, a, a part of, she heard me then and, and was, you know, played a, a role in seeing me through. So she uh, has always been really so sweet and so supportive. So I think she might have helped, you know, encourage Ayerto to, <laughs> to play with us. He was in Brazil. I was in New Jersey at the time. So we just sent everything to him. He overdubbed and layered and then sent it back. And when we then we kind of created the arrangement after the fact. So it's very common now, but this was all done pre-pandemic, you know. So we could have done it live if we were all together, but that's how that works. So I still haven't actually met him <laughs> um, in person, but it went well and it, you know, it was a thrill to have him guest on that piece and honoring Roy Hargrove, of course, as the composer and then having uh, Ayerto kind of just call, you know, and it ended up being really, really so special. I, I do love that. I love hearing that track and I love the, the energy of that of that piece so much. Yeah, I put it on before I chatted to you and it's just such a joy. It is a tonic, a balm, and it's just so incredibly vibrant. It really, it's such the song, and I, I attribute that to the composition. I, you know, I think anyone that knows that piece is like, yeah, that's my jam. And then we just did something different, which really came together in the days before the recording studio. We were at the Jazz Standard for two nights, and, we, at, and during our sound check, I thought of doing that song, and we just pulled it together very quickly and did it live at the show, just kind of like a short, you know, version, kind of like the album, just one time through couple times through and then ended up recording it and 
and it kind of grew from there. And it was the, the memory I have too, is like you mentioned, Karen Kennedy, my, my lovely manager and your dear friend too. I mean, she was in the studio and she joined us like that, the big, you know, kind of just group choir of voices is, is the whole band with Artyom and, and Karen too. And I have, I got to find my footage. There's just like joyous video of everybody just like singing and laughing. And so it was, it was really fun. To, to create that too. about where you're from. You grew up in Los Angeles. I remember you referring to yourself as a valley girl. Yeah, I did grow up in the valley. Proudly so. (laughs) And then you moved to New York and you lived in New York and the surrounding areas for a, a very long time. And then you recently moved back to LA. How did that coincide with the making of this record? Yeah, so yeah, I was in New York and and in New Jersey for about 16 years until moving back. So we actually recorded this um, in January of 2019 in New York City, like at the Bunker Studio in, in Brooklyn, actually. And then my family and I moved to L.A. in June of 2019. That's right, right? Yeah. So yeah, then we had kind of a normalish, you know, settling six months or so, and then pandemic so it took most of that year 2020 to kind of figure out okay we have this album it's done we've layered everything we've added uh, musically it's finished it needed to be you know mixed and and mastered and then released and so that then i connected with dave stapleton and, and edition records only like spring 2020 and then very quickly we made a plan to get it out to everybody like i guess a year later <laughs> Right. Gretchen, remind me, are Marcel, Leo and Artyom, they're based in L.A.? They are, conveniently. So now we're all we're all here. Yeah. Well, that leads me nicely to my point about feeling, and I've spoken to you about this before, that the, the record is very L.A. There's something very Los Angeles about it. I know that it was not recorded mm-hmm. in L.A. and one can't really assign cities to recording sounds per se, although sometimes you can. <laughs> right. But right. There's an atmosphere about floor that is very Los Angeles. And one of the examples, aside from the production, 
is the tune What Does a Lion mm. Say, which was written by a very old friend of yours, Chris Morrissey, who's also a fantastic bassist. You wrote the lyrics, and that song to me has a kind of playfulness mm. that reminds me of perhaps John Bryan, who in my mind is very L.A. Oh, cool. Thank you for pointing all that out. I think to me it has an L.A. feel because... I mean, it wasn't recorded there, but because of the of the musicians and the energy and my nostalgia to going back to a love that I discovered in Los Angeles and growing up here, it, there is an energy compared to the other albums, which have that. Like you, you said it. I'm going to repeat what you said. There's a there's a, a difference between the New York sound and the LA sound. So that is true. And yeah, with what does a lion say? I think it's funny. Yeah, because Chris, you know, he wrote the piece and would and he sent it. It wasn't really ever played before. He kind of offered it at its beginning stage. So there isn't another version to compare it to. When he sent it, it was like him playing bass or him playing it on piano, really scale down so when we kind of brought it to life with this instrumentation he he kind of made that reference to like tom waits or you know something really quirky and yeah circusy and fun so yeah i think it, it was fun to kind of just try to find different ways to do these pieces you know with that one and the other most of the originals are really about motherhood and for my songs about the experience of being a mother and kind of songs written for my son and and the early early years so you know again this album was recorded a couple years ago but then the music we had been working on for a couple years before that so all of it goes back to you know now my son is seven but i'm writing about when he was just born and when he was a, a baby and a toddler and you know those amazing years that were really just like me inside this new bubble of kind of beautiful, you know, blissful isolation. And it's a beautiful thing to allow and, and to write about and to move from feeling like that tug of war with yourself as a creative person and just accept that like this is a, a beautiful gift that really just flies by and now here we are we're all we all can come back to where we need to be creatively but it's just seeing it from a different angle my hope was that these songs are just reflective of this very specific time and other people might be able to relate to them too morning waking and dreaming lives little
Hi, a quick note about how you can support the Jazz Session. This podcast is supported by listeners who enjoy these interviews so much that they become members over at the Jazz Session's Patreon page. If you head to thejazzsession.com slash join, you'll find information on how to opt into one of two tiers of membership. For $5 a month, you'll receive this podcast a day early, and you'll also get a weekly mini-episode called Track of the Week. Here an artist talks to us, the listener, about a track of their new album and then we hear the song in question. For $10 a month, you'll receive the interview a day early, track of the week and also a monthly bonus episode called The Insider. This is a spin-off series where I chat to jazz industry professionals, broadcasters, booking agents, label heads, journalists about the nuts and bolts of the jazz business. So, visit thejazzsession.com slash join for more information. And if you don't want to become a member, that's quite all right, but do feel free to tell friends or family members about the show or any episodes that you've enjoyed in particular. Word of mouth goes a long way in helping folks discover the Jazz Session and become listeners and fans. Now, back to the interview. I love that motherhood is a theme that runs throughout this record, and I think that will resonate with a lot of listeners. Let's talk about Bach's Cello Suite, because that has a personal meaning for you in terms of motherhood. It's a song that you would sing to your son before he went to bed. And it's lovely to hear you expand on your previous wordless work, but to do that with a song that is from a completely different genre. It comes from the classical world, right? And you've worked it onto this record in a seamless way. The listener doesn't sort of do a double listen or a double take and say, oh, Bach, hi, what are you doing here? Fancy meeting you. It all makes perfect musical sense. And I think you've always been adept at borrowing traits from other genres, in previous recordings, it was from R&B and more popular styles and weaving them into the fabric of your music. And that's what you've done here. And the Bach and also Rosa are shimmering gems on this album and provide beautiful contrast to the more buoyant tunes like Roy Allen or Wonderful. So tell us more about the Bach. Yeah, it was, you know, putting the, specifically Yo-Yo Ma playing Bach cello suite was what, one among many things that was kind of in rotation when Marley was a baby. And, you know, you just find music that makes you feel calm and, you know, that you can put on and really, you know, have as, as in the background, but also have and really listen to. Those suites were kind of just in my head. And I, as a singer, you just attempt to sing along with them. And I always would, would try to. The range is very wide so it's I couldn't always I'd have it's you can relate as a singer to you just have to flip octaves and kind of do your best with them but they were kind of in my body somewhere and I have a, a great connection and memory to them and then it was Marcel you know when we were just kind of working on the repertoire he suggested this specific cello suite and I he's like yeah do you know it and I was like I actually do and I re-listened and tried to sing along and thought I can do it but we have to change the key so um you know and then there was one low note that I kind of didn't really hit you know and I said I could get away with not 
not doing that because we know what the note is. I don't have to hit it. <laughs> Someone else can play it. So I could get away with, with doing it in that key. And yeah, then it was just like, okay, how can I, I've, I've actually always loved different art songs and, and classical music and heard them at, growing up and sung them in choirs, especially in high school, you know, um, singing choral music was always a big part of my practice and my learning, but I hadn't ever done, you know, sang it solo or, or done my own thing with it. So my attempt was really just to not change my voice and all of a sudden sound like operatic or a different voice than what's my own. It was like, could I do this in just a really direct, pure way? And it's just about purity and, and simplicity. And hopefully that's how it came to be. And of course, the biggest influence to that is Bobby McFerrin, you know, is hearing someone like him sing perfectly and realize like, oh, okay, I, I'm not him. I can't do it the way he does it, but what a great influence to realize that, oh, those are the syllables that you can use. And this is how a voice can, you can transfer, you know, something that's instrumental to, to a vocal piece. And so he's, you know, the almighty <laughs> everything, you know, to me. And it's beautiful. We had an actual cello in this group. So that was a big part of wanting to feature RTM in this way and kind of also just feature more intimate arrangements and, and instrumentation in the group and have some really big pieces with added textures, but also like just solo voice, just voice and cello and just really allow that to be okay and, and let it sit there, you know, even in the sequencing of the album too. Once we get into that mood, there's a, a, a kind of lull right in the middle of the album that kind of brings you to a, a more mellow, intimate place. I chose to just stay there for a few songs and then move. So I wanted to just offer people that kind of mood and that feeling to just be there and, and not be jutted into a, a different place, you know, but to just accept that as part of music and, and life.
it is such a meditative offering, which is very in line with you and the aura that you emit, which is very grounded and focused and calm. So it's lovely how it lines up with your personality. I also just want to make note that you talk about pivoting or flipping the octave as if it's as easy as, I don't know, subbing out whole wheat for normal flour. <laughs> um, whereas in reality, it's incredibly hard to do. It's not a simple one for one. You have to make sure that the line of the melody continues, even though you're changing and jumping octaves. And although you make it sound easy, you make it sound as easy as subbing out flour in a baking <laughs> recipe. <laughs> well, that's good. But yeah, you know what you, I, I think anyone who's a singer knows like when you, want to sing along with something and it's just out of your range you just have to you know but you know what's what's interesting about that i'll just note here and i'll see what happens later in my son's life but i noticed that he can do that pretty instinctively is when he's singing along with something and it's not in his range he just he flips octaves so i'm like okay there's a little flag of like he's he definitely has that instinct so i'm i'm hoping that he i'm going to put him in in vocal choral, you know, group situations where he can like really find that joy. Cause I, th I think he's, I think he's a singer. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> I can hear that he can- You heard it sing. here first, folks. <laughs> Whether he pursues it, but he definitely has that instinct. To me, I was like, oh yeah, that's like not, a, not everybody knows how to do that. I think that's a singery, a singery thing that you can relate to too of like, Oh, it's just, it's easy. Oh, that's not in my range. I'll just go to the other octave, you know. Well, for what it's worth, I think you'd be a terrific stage mom, Gretchen. <laughs> and it is kind of his namesake too, right, Marley? To a degree, right. We'll see. We'll see. He might, it might, it might just be on his own, just in the car, in the shower, but you know. He's got it. He's got it somewhere. Well, I think maybe you need to just bring out your inner Helen McKenzie <laughs> to be a really okay. fantastic stage I would mom. definitely Helen. Helen would come out if 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 she needs to. I he's met her. He knows her now, so he just thinks it's funny, and he's like, it's kind of. We'll see. I it would definitely like. He's got a good sense of humor, which everybody should have a good sense of humor these days. You just need to laugh about. Things. We should tell people who Helen is, um, Gretchen. I feel like I want to call her Dame Helen Mackenzie because I feel like she has <laughs> yeah. earned that title. But for folks who don't know, who uh, is Helen Mackenzie? Who is Helen? <laughs> Helen is, uh, she's my alter ego. And she, I'd have to think of the year. See, I, there's some things I can remember right off the bat. I don't remember when she was when she was created slash born, which was different because she's older than I am. Um, but yeah, she's probably in her in her 70s now. She started with, um, I have one of my best friends had this um, purple, like a purple perfect like bob wig. So it had the bangs and, and you know, chin length hair, straight like you know flat iron kind of look and she left it in her car she left it in the trunk of her car for months and she pulled it out and helen's hair that everyone knows is exactly what it looked like so it turned blue from purple and it just got matted together and it's wild and so i just she just gave it to me for fun i put it on and it was you know we'd made we made a video actually like 20 years ago of just totally improvised just put this wig on and let's just 
go. And so Helen was just kind of created on the spot from the wig. It was just the wig that like transformed me. And then she's become like a critic of me. She's become a critic of, you know, from inside my own head. It just, it's that whole, you know, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac or that they made a movie in the 80s, Roxanne, based on that story of just like no one can, or Nutty Professor, did they do that? You, nobody can make fun of you better than you <laughs> so you know if you get if you get there first then um it's like the best revenge and the best kind of protection of of anyone else saying anything to criticize you you know <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely there's a great youtube video out there if listeners want to seek it out the title of which is Helen McKenzie Reviews Gretchen Parlato's Lost and Found. And it's you in full Helen McKenzie garb, basically ripping yourself a new one and criticizing the album in the way that critics have or may still get to. And it's very, it's wonderful. It's very funny because she's a riot and she's also vicious. But it's also very interesting in terms of what it says about critics and criticism and criticism that sometimes feels like it's just a regurgitation of past opinions and past analysis. It's not new, nor does it show a side of the critic where they're trying to understand what was being done and then trying to analyze why it worked or didn't work for them. Because you've been such a prominent figure in the jazz world for over a decade now, how have you dealt with criticism and how do you deal with it now at this stage of the game? Is it any easier? Is it water off a duck's back by this point? I think it, it is. It's definitely at this point, maybe because of, of my age or just because of the work that I did. Again, like that rolling off your back where it's like, yeah, what, what is the point of holding anything in like that? So somebody told me and I, I always remember, just consider the source, right? Like, who is this person? And where are they coming from, you know, and what, what the, of their opinion and think of like, what's their filter in how they see me or see anybody see you and know that that's one person's opinion that could be popular or strong or whatever, but also it's being open to, to taking criticism is helpful. I'm much better at it. You know, there was definitely like, you can really shut down in my teens and 20s, it would wreck me for weeks, you know, especially something written critic or somebody pulling me aside after a show and giving me the advice or even in the class setting, it can it can be hard. And or just even just falling on your face, right at a jam session or an open mic or at a gig, it can happen. And now I think I would be bummed for like a day instead of weeks, <laughs> you know, and you just kind of sleep on it and realize like, wow, there's a lot of other things in, in life to kind of balance this out. But we still, is, it's great to learn from it. It's great to kind of take it in and think like, is there anything I can take from this that's valid? Let's say, for example, 20 something years ago when teachers, well, teachers, critics would say, don't sit down when you sing, you know, stand up, open your eyes and project and you know and so to me I was maybe it as a teenager I was offended because it was like no you don't understand me I'm just in my space and I'm in my vibe and I don't want to stand up and I don't want to open my eyes and you know but now I can see like oh maybe maybe it's just a matter of like coming out of this space and realizing oh yeah there is an audience there there are people that are here to listen there's it's not just about this space it's there's also 
it's out there too. So it's just floating a little bit more in, in these other areas instead of, you know, getting so caught up and opening up, but still being true. So it's not like, you know, I don't open my eyes all the time when I sing, I mostly close them. But then every once in a while it was like, oh yeah, if there's an appropriate moment to kind of open my eyes to the situation, that's a good thing, you know, and I can, I could do that. And like, oh, actually sitting down feels really good when I sing, but standing up, it does change the energy. Oh, wow. And, you know, now I used to wear high heels all the time and it was really fun. Now I'm like, tried singing barefoot and it was like, I like this. This is really, this feels great, <laughs> you know? So there's different ways you're going to change. Take it all in and then filter it and then use what works for you. It's nice to know that it does get easier to digest and it's interesting because I remember seeing Cassandra Wilson perform barefoot and it being something of a revelation for me <laughs> yeah. to the point where she actually, I think she travels with her own little rug that she puts down oh, on yeah. the stage so that she can be comfortable. Yeah, it it may, it feels great, you know, it really, I, I totally get it now. And yeah, she always knows and I would use her as a big example of just like voice and tone and presence and just... The thing about it is none of the outside stuff should matter if what you're producing musically is honest and is present and is pure, then it doesn't matter. Well, one of my big gripes when it comes to critics of yours over the years is that they have reused certain words, breathy is a good example, that then get borrowed by other people and used and thrown around. And they become these sort of generic terms that really don't do you justice. And I just want to unpack the breathy thing because I am very aware when I listen to you sing that in fact, your chords are connecting. To me, breathy implies that there's an actual physiological issue. The chords are not connecting and as a result air is coming through and you can hear that. But your chords are connecting. The actual nub, the core of your sound is a completely chord connected sound. It's very pure. It's very piercing in a in a direct good way. And the breath is around that. The breath is an aesthetic. It's a choice. And proof of that is that you often turn the breath off when you are scatting and perhaps or improvising and perhaps the intensity of the song is growing then there's very little breath so it's a choice and I think it would be much better arts criticism or arts journalism to say I don't like her choice as opposed to just kind of throwing this blanket term on all your music and it's just simply unfair and I think another very good example of the fact that this is something you are choosing to do and you have your reasons even if they're not everyone's cup of tea is that when Helen sings there is no breath it is sans breath she is brassy and belty to the hills I'll play an example of her singing a little bit of lush life I used to visit all the very gay places used to still do those come what may places where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life to get the feel of life so in fact your voice is quite multifaceted and by just 
throwing out that term as a term of criticism, it makes it sound like you can only do one thing. Right. And if you don't like it, then you won't like any of her music. And that's simply not true. And I find it a little unfair. Yeah. And it does. You're right. You know, because you're in this field, things get used. They get printed or said, and then they're used over and over. So, right. Breathy or whisper or nasal. I've heard that too, maybe in the placement. And also I know a little bit about technique from great peers and teachers that we both have like Theo Blackman or Kate McGarry or Tierney Sutton. But I really came up learning by instinct and by ear and by feel. And so sometimes I do need that person to step in someone like you, someone like, and Theo said the same thing of, you know, and, and use Helen as the example of like, but wait a minute, this is a choice. There's another voice here if you really wanted to, to use it and it exists. So what is that? Right. So, but to me, it's like, well, yeah, what's honest though? What's there? Like Helen is an exaggeration in my head, but it's a real way to use my voice if I wanted to, (laughs) to pursue that path. Or a a tamed version could have been when I used to love singing, you know, musical theater and belting out songs. I'm out of shape doing that, but I definitely had a dream to be like a musical theater singer, you know, when I was little. So it's in me somewhere, but that's a whole other way to use your voice that I would have to be very in shape to do. (laughs) But I think, yeah, there is something to be said of the natural... I could be wrong, but to me, it just feels like whatever the air around my voice is, and it ch- it changes within the range, is really just there, and it's natural. And I'm not forcing it, it just happens to be there, and I'm more of like embracing it, of like, oh, when I sing in this register, there's a different texture, there's a different air around the note and I like it (laughs) and I'm gonna keep it there and make sure that that the key is in this song this is the the key and the range that I should sing in because I want that effect because what does that make me feel like what does that make the listener feel like all those things come into place for me so something I like to talk to you about when I get the chance although I'm aware it could make you feel uncomfortable but you always take it in your stride is the fact that it is completely undeniable that you have been such a pivotal figure in the jazz voice genre. You have been a game changer. You have expanded the parameters of how people hear and think of vocalists, the idea that the vocalist can be integrated in the band. And in fact, this came up just yesterday. I was interviewing a Slovenian singer who lives in Berlin. She's amazing. Her name is Mirna Bogdanovic. And she mentioned you. She cited you as an example of a vocalist who was able to successfully tread that fine line between being the singer in the band, but also being used as an instrument and being very much part of the band. I think she spoke about Gerald Clayton's album where he uses you as a sideman, which I wish was more prevalent in the jazz world. But you have certainly changed the optics of how people see and consider a jazz vocalist. Part of that is also due to your wordless singing, which has made such a mark on a great many number of young jazz vocalists. In fact, you know what a great example of that is, is your work with David, Binny. Oh, yes. I'm, I think I need to play some of that for the listeners. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah, I would, I'd play that for, that's probably, he, he challenged me and I didn't think I could, I could sing that stuff, but he was like, yeah, because you can do it. 
I love his writing and it was such a thrill to sing that. Yeah, that's it's really sublime, that recording and your work on it. What I wanted to ask you about being somebody who has inspired and influenced so many jazz vocalists and also instrumentalists, because they now relate to their vocalist counterparts in a different way, I think, in large part thanks to you and seeing how all of your bandmates respect you and interact with you musically and and otherwise, is what is it like to be on the receiving end of that praise? Vocalists must come up to you all the time and say how absolutely grateful they are for your work and how much they love it and love you. No, you know what, I really, it takes people like you to kind of, you know, point it out and make me, talk about it because it's a compliment to me but then it's not about me what it is is me being completely true to myself and you know sticking with my the the gut feeling that like this is my path and this is my calling and this is how I honestly sing and Helen McKenzie is me making fun of that and using a different voice and I can do that but it's the joke on me is like that becomes a character when people with the critic of people saying you know sing louder or wear more makeup or change your hair or wear this or wear that or or just like project and make it bigger and it needs to be this big production that's where Helen I'm like oh you want a bit more okay I'll here's more you know but then it was like who am I and how can I reflect honestly with my voice and that's the path that I've followed and if there's other singers who can relate to that that's the greatest settling feeling for me to know that that's why I should continue you know and keep going and keep following this path is because there's a lot of us who just feel like there's a lot of talk of like what we're supposed to sound like and who we should emulate or we're kind of looking outside of yourself to become something else and search and search for something that's still out there and that's this switch really of just like the searches to realize what we have and to just it should be easy it's just it's pure honesty you know and if your honesty is really big and bold and obvious then so be it but if it's not and if it's more understated that's what I hope that I've you know validated in myself and if it's helped other singers and it feels amazing if I'm not trying to sound like someone else (laughs) I'm not trying to be someone else what's at the core of what my voice naturally is that's the advice I give of just sing the same way that you would speak how we speak is very unique and everyone knows your speaking voice right away so it should be the same feeling when when we sing and it should be just as effortless so I love hearing that that I've been part of that you know that journey and then I just encourage other people to continue it and do that again for the next generation 
A thank you note to everyone who makes the jazz session possible, namely the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com, don't ask me to say that three times fast, for the theme music. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Instagram and Facebook at The Jazz Session. You can also subscribe to the Jazz Session's YouTube channel if you want to watch video excerpts from interviews with this season's guests. You can rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and that would be lovely. It would make the show more visible to other potential listeners and future patrons. Now, back to the episode. Before we part ways, I do want to ask you what is next on the cards for you? I know that there's a lot that's unknown, but what have you got in store? Yeah, well, I know the unknown is the pandemic. It does reflect to us as artists as far as like when we will be able to really like fully continue and, and share music live and tour. I know a lot, a lot of friends are doing that a little bit. I think being in California, in Los Angeles, it still feels we need to wear masks inside right now, which I'm all for, and that's just fine by me. Um, but it makes me feel still like, well, I'm not, not quite there to, to um, safely feel like we can go on a big run with the music. So that's a little unknown, but I thought, okay, what, what can I do as an artist? And, and I can start working on the next album. So I'm, I'm kind of just finding my time. I mostly, my time is like mom again, kind of my son is seven, but because of having school on zoom and being home, it kind of brought me back to like, Oh, I'm at home again with him because I, we need to be home and I need to still kind of guide him as a first grader last year to, um, you know, he couldn't do it all alone. So it, it did feel like going back in time a little bit of, of just being a, a you know, a, a homemaker and caretaker and, um, uh, and it, but it was beautiful. And maybe there's more songs there, more to write about, but I'm gonna, you know, without, without saying too much of the detail, I, I'm just gathering material and, and trying to write, write songs and, and, and gather another you know something more to share and more to say and now that i'm with addition it's it's all it's it's good push and and, and it does help to know that when i'm ready artistically we can move forward to to get that recorded and get that out so just stay tuned for that i don't know what it's going to be completely but i have i have good ideas so we'll just bring it to life very soon Gretchen, thank you so much for coming on the Jazz Session today. It's been just a joy to chat with you here. Thank you. My complete pleasure. I always love connecting with you and, and talking. So 
Thank you, Nikki. Thank you to this week's guest, Gretchen Parlato. You can buy Gretchen's album, Floor, online or wherever you buy your music. And if you want to find out more information about where she's performing as the world opens up, you can head to her website, gretchenparlato.com. I will place any links or artists mentioned in the show notes for this week's episode, and you'll also find a track listing for the music that was played throughout the interview. Again, if you enjoy this podcast, then do consider becoming a member over at Patreon. Head to thejazzsession.com slash join to find out more information about your membership options. I hope to see you over there. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I look forward to bringing you another conversation about jazz next week on The Jazz Session. <laughs>